0: Moncrief on News Talk.
1: Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.
0: Tomorrow is World AIDS Day, and to co- coincide with that, a new movie will be released in Irish cinemas called How to Tell a Secret, featuring straightforward documentary pieces, some recreation, some theatre, and lots of fabulousness. It tells the story of multiple Irish people who live with HIV, sometimes in public. Sometimes as a secret, they carry alone. Anna Rogers is co-director and one of the performers it features is Enda McGrattan, better known as the drag performer of Ada, uh, who in the film inhabits the character of Tom McGinty, otherwise known as the Dice Man. Anna and Enda, good
1: afternoon. Good afternoon.
0: Thank you. Uh, Enda, tell us about when when you were diagnosed with HIV. What were the circumstances of that? Was it devastating? How did you feel at the time? I think, to be honest, I grew up
2: Um, in the 80s. So when I was about 10 years old, I was like quite a camp kid and I was bullied a lot. And I used to love to stay home and watch golden age of Hollywood movies. And one of the people I adored most in the world was Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor. Hmm. And then, you know, around the age of 10 or 11, I was watching this media sort of nightmare unfold where Rock Hudson was very sick and ultimately dying of AIDS. And Elizabeth Taylor was a champion for people. And this was before I was aware of my own gender and sexuality abnormalities, for want of a better <laughs> expression. So, you know, I, already, I had this huge impression, this weird feeling and attachment to AIDS. And right from the start, maybe there's something in you that knows as a queer person that, that, you, that you're talking about your own people. But um, And then I grew up in the shadow of AIDS. By the time I was 18, I had friends who were dying of AIDS. Um, and one of my other heroes, of course, was the Dice Man, and he's one of the few people in Ireland who ever came out and spoke about their status publicly on television mm. on the Late Late Show of old with the yeah. one and only Gay Byrne, and it's such an amazing episode. And I remember seeing that in my own sitting room in Malahide with my family, and I remember when he passed the the show that they had in the Olympia to memorialise him. So I had quite a relationship with HIV before in my thirties. I received a diagnosis myself and I was like pretty much a child of shame. I had grown up in the stigma. You know what I mean? So I didn't handle it very well at all, but I still had a lot of friends who were living with HIV and I knew quite a bit about it. So ultimately I think I would have handled it better had I not been in a relationship at the time. And what happened really was I promised not to tell anybody. So I went from getting this kind of traumatic diagnosis to into a closet of my own creation and didn't tell anyone.
0: Who who did you promise not to tell anybody? To Um, my
2: lover at the time, mm. you know. And it seemed like not a big deal at the time. But a couple of months in, you start hearing these stigmatizing conversations or witnessing things. And the people around you don't realize that they're talking about you necessarily. Mm. And that just pushes you deeper into that Kind of shame closet.
0: Is that within the community and or oh from, yeah, you oh, know, yeah God within God the community like and yeah. from
2: the media and job yeah. like both of us. Yeah. But you know, because I'm not perfect either. The thing about stigma and shame is, for a while, I used to feel hurt by that stuff or angry about it. But now I really don't at all because the people who are perpetuating the stigma, they didn't create the stigma. They grew up like me under the shadow of this scary epidemic. Mm. And the culture at the time was very shaming and damning of queer people and blamed us a lot for our own deaths. And that leaves a legacy behind that we have to work very hard to change. So when people stigmatise us or, or older queer people hold on to those kind of fears of HIV, despite the fact, and I want to really emphasise that that if you're on effective treatment, you cannot pass on HIV. So despite the fact they're not at risk at all from us, in fact, people who know their status and are on treatment are the absolute safest people to have sex with if you don't want to become HIV positive. Yeah, Because yeah. we cannot give it to you. That's a scientific fact. You yeah. know? And it's so, amazing
0: though. actually the treatment because it used to be like a bucket load of pills you had to take and yes. now it's one pill is it?
2: One pill and maybe like half a tab of acid. No,
0: I don't <laughs> <laughs> <depends>. That's optional. <laughs> Microdosing is definitely part of
2: my personal program. Um, but yeah, and it was just one pill a day. It's like a tic-tac. It's very sweet and easy to Swallow, but interestingly, I was on a medication before that called ACT. A oh no no no, that's a lie. Yeah. Called a tripla, mm. which I um I took for almost a decade, and it really damaged my mental health. I had a lot of um, anxiety attacks and sleepless nights and sweat attacks. Oh. And because I was in this HIV closet on my own and I didn't have anyone to talk to, I was just so grateful to be alive that it never occurred to me that I could go and change my medication just take another medication. I thought this amazing chemotherapy was my only option and the one thing keeping me alive. So I put myself through an awful lot of unnecessary torment, which is one of the reasons I talk so much about this stuff, because I just don't want other people making those same mistakes.
0: Yeah, what brought you to then... Uh, go public with your HIV status?
2: Um, well, there are amazing activists already out there, like Panty, who's one of my dearest friends. She's my sister. And my other sister, Robbie Lawler, who I do a podcast with for people living with HIV, who is also one of the people who collaborated with Invisible Thread on this How to Tell a Secret film, which we'll get to, which is <laughs> In amazing. In a minute, we
0: will talk to <laughs> a second. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, and I saw Robbie speaking at a marriage equality... Um, demonstration in 2015 with his partner, Morris, about living with HIV and about taking part in the partner study to prove that people who were on effective treatment couldn't give HIV to their partners. So they had a lot of sex to prove that on all of our behalf, which was so (laughs) impressive. Sweet of them. So amazing, really. (laughs) And that really inspired me to have a lot of sex. No, but it also inspired me, you know, I was in the same position. I had a partner. we, We had had a civil partnership. I was... Privileged enough to own my own home and have secure income. And I just felt this sense of guilt about the whole thing that I wasn't there helping him or joining him. And that just planted a little seed that took a little while to bloom. But um, in 2019, I wrote a song about living with HIV with the intention of coming out about my status. I just got this idea that if I do what I want to do, with as big as creatively as possible and just make a big splash because that is really, it's only the stigma that would stop me from doing that. And even all the judgment that I got from some people because of that, it was all just cobwebs of sti- stigma as well, as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. So I wrote this song called I Came Out One Night and in 2019 I released it just before World AIDS Day and I got in a cab and I went to Vienna. I call it Vienna." M- and I went there just to, you know, to hang out with friends. And I didn't think it would make as big a splash as it did. It, it caused a bit of a storm online. I got loads of support from the queer community. It went up the iTunes charts and it, I got a lot of press, I guess, and, and loads and loads of messages from people living with HIV. And that really gave me a sense of freedom for the first time in a long time, mm-hmm. you know. And then COVID came along and locked me down into my kitchen. So like a lot of drag queens, I was doing um, drag shows from my kitchen into a ring light. But I was making a point of talking about HIV and continuing that part of my work. Yeah. And in return, I was getting a lot of messages again of support from people, other people living with HIV. And that gave me the idea to start what I'm gonna call a pause cast, which is like a podcast for positive people. Um, And myself and Robbie, we went on to do that. We started this podcast during lockdown. And the beauty of it really is, I guess, with regard to the film is all these things happen at the same time. So the story of the film and the story of the podcast are interlinked forever because our first ever recording was recorded for the film and is now in the film. And Robbie and I went on to do a lot of amazing stuff in the last year and a half. And I guess everything that... Anna and the team have been doing for the film has been really good for us in the community and everything that we in the community have been doing I think has been really good for the film as well.
0: Yeah, Yeah. now to talk uh, uh, about the film uh, uh, How to Tell a Secret now... Obviously, Enda is cast as the Dice Man. The Dice Man was largely silent. Uh, was Enda miscast in that role?
1: <laughs> well, you know, Enda does do a drag show in in the George, so I knew that uh, that Enda could do lip syncing. You know, the film the film How to Tell a Secret is based on a play Rappers, by Sean yes. Dunn. Yeah, uh, now
0: I explain how they are quite different to each other. They
1: are quite different, but you know, there's a, there's I suppose it's an evolution of the play onto screen or a translation of the play. But of course, Enda. Enda's role and The Diceman didn't appear in the original play. There was just a mention of The Diceman as a historical figure, an important figure. But we wanted to, myself and Sean Dunn, wanted to kind of bring that to life. And we wanted somebody to embody The Diceman and bring his spirit in some way back into the world and onto Grafton Street. So, you know, with was locked down. We were doing a lot of casting over Zoom and that. And I was aware of Enda's story because we have some mutual friends. And when the song came out you know, there was a lot of surprise and there were people that you were close to, Enda, that didn't know as well about your status. And so since the film was about secrecy and stigma and shame um, and, and, and why people feel that they can't talk about their HIV with people close to them, I, I thought that it would be a really nice, um, you know, way to explore that through somebody like Enda, who is also a performer. So because the film has actors in it as well as people telling their own stories... It was the perfect opportunity to kind of do both with one person. Mm. So Enda tells their own story in the film, but also does this incredible performance of the Diceman, um, lip syncing to that old Late Late Show uh, interview with Tom McGinty, uh, which was such a groundbreaking moment on Irish television. And then also we took this performance out onto the street with an incredible costume Um, and makeup and and design. And one of the moments that was really amazing was when when Enda walked onto Grafton Street, an old man uh, shouted out, "The Dice Man returns." Mm. And we kind of knew in that moment that people people got it. They got what we were doing. And it
0: is like like Tom, very tall. So, I know. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's some uncanny similarities yeah. there. So when we were doing the, the really dramatic kind of lip sync scene, cutting from screens with Tom McGinty coming out. You know, Gabe and uh, greeting him, and he's taking off his coat, and then Ender kind of walks out into the studio. There is a, a lovely kind of mirroring going on, mm. but not easy. Now we didn't give you a lot of rehearsal time. <laughs> not easy to lip sync an interview. Like it's one yeah. thing to kind of lip sync on stage a song, you know, but to actually lip sync an, an interview with all the kind of little nuances of, of how someone speaks. Um, yeah, you pulled that it off. Now,
0: another interesting aspect, I suppose even more hidden, is women speaking about their HIV status.
1: That's right. Yeah. And that's so complex. You know, we we really wanted to presence women in the film. And the film does feature people like Robbie Lawler telling their own story. And and for them, you know, as activists coming out and speaking about it, it was also very difficult. But also something now that, the, you know, they're used to doing on TV, on radio, on podcasts and things like that. But for women around the country, you know, who aren't necessarily, you know, aren't part of the queer community, um, they're not, you know, out sometimes to their own closest friends, their parents, and um, a lot of them have children as well. So, you know, they're protecting their children, uh, you know, and, and don't want, I suppose, their children to inherit some of that stigma as well. So the, there's a whole kind of myriad of reasons why people can't come out. But there were some women who felt. You know, I want to tell my story. I want to participate in this film and and originally in the play but I just don't want to identify myself. So we had a, a number of ways that people could contribute. They sent in letters, emails. Uh, we spoke to people on Zoom and interviewed them and their interviews, myself and Sean then worked with their interviews and translated them into performances. So we worked with three actors then who embodied the women and took on their testimony and performed it, both on stage and then out in the world in clinics and other locations where we kind of bring the stories to life. So this is like, a, I suppose, you call it like a hybrid documentary Mm. it's not your average documentary it's very different and you know it has elements of theatre and drama as well as very moving documentary material in it as well
0: Did any of the women come out to anyone about their HIV status or were considering it?
1: Yeah so you know we feature a story in it of a migrant woman who we worked very closely and she comes forward and does an interview in the film and she decided to use her real voice um, knowing, I suppose, which she says in the film, I know that some people might recognise my voice and mm-hmm. that might identify me. So she's kind of on the edge a little bit, dancing behind the curtain, a little bit peeping behind it, and uh, and not not necessarily ready to come out and reveal herself, but also not afraid that somebody might know it's her. And she told her daughter, and we kind of play out that scenario with um, the actor Jade Jordan. Um, who who performs this. And uh, yeah, I suppose some of them have told members of their families. Um, some of them have had not great reception from some family members. Ah. I know one of the people we spoke to said, you know, that... Um, that a sister hadn't taken it well and, and, you know, there was a lot of washing of bedclothes and things like that afterwards. Oh, so these things are still going on and are ma- very it's difficult. It's mad in this
0: day and age that It's exists. just,
1: I suppose, a lack of education around it. You know, like when they do surveys around stigma and HIV, you do find that people still think things like you can get HIV from kissing or from saliva and that. So like, as Enda said, this incredibly powerful message around you equals you um, that you can't pass on HIV if you're on medication is so important. You know, and you that, can
2: have a baby. Let's not yeah. forget to mention mm. that. Well, your baby will be HIV negative.
1: Yeah, when you Which when you amazing. go to have a baby yeah. now, anyway, as standard practice, you get tested for HIV, so they know if you're HIV positive, and, and they sadly can that's take how care of it.
2: most women find out that they're HIV positive God. because they're pregnant. That's how most of the yeah. diagnosis
0: happens.
1: Yeah. Andrew, did
0: you uh, did you know um, the Dice Man at all? I did.
2: Yeah, I knew him. Um, he was very close friends with Gavin Friday and Alan Amsby. The Mr. legendary Pussy, Mr. Yeah. Pussy, yeah, and I worked in Mr. Pussy's Cafe Deluxe. Uh, Did on you? Suffolk Street. Yeah. God, you're bringing me back now. Yes.
0: Did they? You know they used to serve. Was it gin in
2: teapots? It was anything you wanted in a teapot. Was that
0: strictly illegal? <laughs> no, it was totally illegal, which is why it was in
2: a teapot, you know, because the, the cops the cops would come in and everybody, you know, looked kind of like, like okay. Like drunk
0: people th- drinking tea. Bono would sign tea. a few autographs and,
2: you know, everybody would just go about their business. Milkshakes as well, a lot of alcohol and milkshakes. But that's how I knew Tom. Sadly, um, it was during that time when he passed, so it wasn't a great mm. time for him. And he
0: had dementia towards the end? I he think. did. And yeah.
2: he, he would come in a lot into the cafe and sit and wait for Alan or Gavin to take him home because towards the end, he they would babysit him and take turns and stay overnight if his housemates couldn't be there overnight because the dementia was unpredictable, really. Yeah. So he'd hang around a lot and... Um, it, it wasn't the easiest time, I'd say, to get to know him, but I had such a huge fondness for him. And I think about him all the time. He had a tube of Smarties regularly. His thing was to arrange them in colours on the table and then eat them slowly while he was waiting. <laughs> and I always think of him when I see a tube of Smarties. Ah, oh,
0: gosh.
1: And Mr Pussy actually showed up for one of the rehearsals for our Diceman performance and oh. had photographs of him with Tom um, so that was lovely. And we met up also with uh, Diceman's old manager, Aiden, sort of to get his blessing because we knew that what we were doing was uh, a little bit unusual. And we kind Necromancy. of Necromancy. Yeah, we yeah. kind of wanted to know what would he what would he think of this. Mm. And of course, because I didn't know him and Sean didn't know him and, and our producer, Zlata, you know, we all just felt it would be nice to get some sort of blessing. So Aiden came and went for a lovely walk with me on Grafton Street. We told him what we were going to do. And he was like, Yeah, I think. He'd really be tickled by this, actually.
0: Well, that's a good point at which to end. How to Tell a Secret is in Irish cinemas for World AIDS Day. That starts on December the 1st. Uh, that's Thursday, obviously, tomorrow. Anna Rogers and Anna McGrath, thank you both very much. Thank you. Such a pleasure.
1: Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at
0: 2pm. On News Talk.